Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. This fall, as we've continued as a church, one of the themes that that we've been reiterating is this idea of Calvary being a place to belong. And I hope you're understanding that, and I've, we've had several conversations, and our life groups have been talking about it. And with that in mind, one word that we've talked about last week and this week is the word community. And so we, we've been in with our life groups for that for six weeks, and I want to continue just talking a little bit more about that word today and what that looks like for us as a church in the study this week, something um, I, I was reminded of something from nature, and the Lord just kind of used it to kind of tie something together for me. So let me share it with you. If if we were to uh, if we were to go to California and somewhere on the on those coasts, you, you would see some pictures or see some visions of something like this: these beautiful trees, sequoias, the uh, the, the redwoods, and this particular one, the General Sherman sequoia tree, 275 feet tall, 36 feet in diameter estimated to be 2,500 years old. Now, consider all of those facts, and then also consider that even right now, if you were to look on a particular map, they have these that you can go to, there are six active forest fires just ravaging the forests of California. Six huge forest fires that they're fighting right now at this moment, and those things just seem to continue on an ongoing basis, and yet, and, and that's been happening for years, and yet through all of the forest fires, through all the floods, through all the things, this particular tree and many of its brothers have existed for well over 2,000, they were here when Jesus was here. Over, well over 2,500 years, these trees have stood, and the question is, is why? Now, we're going to talk a little bit about that, but let me read a quote from the, the National Park Service. Just how did they, how did they survive even these, these fires that just seemed to lick up everything around them? And I, this just caught my attention. It says, since the asbestos-like bark grows to at least one foot in thickness and often as much as two feet in thickness, fire seldom is able to kill these trees. Of course, hot fires will kill the young redwoods. Now listen to this. But once the trees have reached maturity, they are not easily killed. That's the one that just jumped off the page to me. That these trees and their strength comes from uh, partly the the thickness of the the bark. I understand that. But the the maturity is the key for them. And and obviously, where we are as a church, I know we're not trees. I know it's not an exact comparison. I know we're people. There's a difference. But there are some amazing similarities in the fact of the strength comes with the maturity. And the the idea that that adds so much dimension to what we do as a church, that we're not here just to come together and hang out for a little bit once a week or throughout the week. There's something bigger involved. We are here, as we say, we believe the Bible has called us to make disciples, to make disciples that make disciples, to see that people are taking their next steps in maturity, to find growth within people. That's why God has called us. In fact, Colossians chapter number one has been a theme in my heart and I believe for our church where Paul said this, Christ is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And he said, and this is his heart, to this end I strenuously contend with all energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. That's Calvary's goal. That's our passion, that we see people grow so that their faith is not only real, but it's getting stronger. 
you're becoming stronger, that you're able to face the things of life and the things that you're going to go in with, with strength. And that's what the goal, that's what the, the point of church is. So when we take that back to community, what I want to make sure you understand is community, as we see it in Scripture, is, is one of the important missing puzzle pieces to this, this idea of maturity. That with, with maturity, God has designed that we need community well, among, the, uh, among those of us who call each other uh, brothers and sisters, the family of God. Community is important for us to take that next step in our, our growth as a believer. So last week, the word community, we talked about the unity in community. The idea of how God has put us together in, in one accord. Well, this week's theme, I, I would just put it this way. We'll just call it, it's fellowship time. Now, I don't know if you grew up in church like I did, but whenever someone said, it's fellowship time, that was good times, right? Because there was the three F's of fellowship. There's food, fun, and fellowship. How many remember those, right? Okay. And food was the one. I never got past food. That was all each other. That's fellowship. All you needed was the food. The f- and, that's, and so we want to talk, but I want you to understand that this idea of fellowship very biblical, very important, significant term, goes a little bit deeper than food, fun, and fellowship. And and I want us to talk about that. So let's get into it as we go. What we go to today, Acts chapter 2, if you have your Bibles or your electronic devices, you'll see a lot of scriptures on your outline or on the screen today. But Acts chapter number 2, we go back to the very first days of the church. The very first church itself that after the resurrection, we're, so we're talking a couple thousand years ago, these new believers are taking off, and, and some things were happening in an amazing fashion in this early church. Now, the church was doing things that they're not necessarily methods that we would, we would want to copy because it's a whole different con, uh, community, a whole different culture. Things were, so the methods themselves were not something that we do exactly as they did. However, we could call it, I think the modern term is best practices. Things that they did that were critical to the, what God was doing within the church that we still need to have a part of, of the church today. So Acts chapter 2, verse number 42, this is immediately after the, the 3,000 that were saved in that first service. 3,000 plus were saved. They were baptized, added to the church. And here's what we see in this early church, and, and I want to remind you of it. He says this, they, those people that were saved, those 3,000 plus, they devoted themselves to, or your version may say they continued steadfastly steadfastly in. And here are the four things they devoted themselves to. The apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. All four of those things were important, and they were devoted to that. And this morning, I want to take and just take the laser and focus on that second one. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Now, right off the bat, there's an interesting, interesting thing in the language of this verse in the Greek, there's actually what you'd call a definite article in front of the word fellowship. In other words, it's the word the, something that sets it aside. And you don't have to translate. It's not a bad translation. It's just you can use it or not. But this verse could actually read this way. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Kind of like when you go to the Walmart, right? Or you have an account on the Facebook, right? Or the Twitter. Some, some of you my age and older, that's... We just talk funny. But you understand, that's the point. There, there, it's very specific. He's talking about the fellowship. They were devoted to something very important. And so today, what I want us to do, I want to as we walk through this. I want to answer three questions. I want to answer the, the what question, the why question, and the how question. What is fellowship? Why is fellowship important? 
And how do we devote ourselves to the fellowship like this early church did? Those are the critical things as we talk through this today. So let's jump into it. What is fellowship? And I promise you, it's probably not what you think. It's probably not, at least for many of us, it's not what we have been conditioned to think fellowship is. Here's what, I, I'm going to give you some pictures of what a lot of times this is fellowship. Coffee and donuts. You're going to the fellowship hour. Like I said, it always had to have food involved, right? So fellowship is when you're hanging out and nothing wrong with coffee and donuts, okay? I started, I, I, I backslid and started drinking coffee a couple years ago, okay? So I enjoy the process now. It's nothing wrong with it, but that would be our definition. Or maybe you add to this the fellowship hall, right? That's where you have the coffee and donuts. Or maybe the potluck. All right, now potlucks, that's got to be from God, amen? I mean, am I right? Potlucks, they're, they're, we have, I have been in churches and experienced some of the best cooks in all the world, not even to, to negate at all what happened last Sunday. Those, diver, those desserts were out of this world. Just fa- those of you who made them, I, I have been giving you a hand all week. It was just phenomenal. In fact, I, I ended up with a beautiful lemon meringue pie on my desk this week. How did that happen? I don't know. I don't, God is just good, I mean, all the time, right? What we're talking about, food, fun, fellowship, that is it. Here's another picture that you're going to hear some people, I mean, and I'm not being facetious, but talk about we have the fellowship of the rings. We have this group of people that gather together. That's the idea of fellowship. Or one definition actually uses this picture, and that is when you have fellows in a ship, Okay, I'm, I'm being serious. I didn't make this one up. That's fellowshipping, okay? And you got Jesus with the disciples. and that, So the point is, you just get people together, and you just kind of hang out, and you have fun. That's fellowship. I mean, we talk about, okay, we're going to have church, and then we're going to go to the fellowship. And that usually, like I said, involves food. Involves, we had a, a fun time last Sunday after church because we fellowshiped. Now, that seems to be a, a, a common definition, But I promise you, folks, the Bible takes it a little bit deeper than that. Let let me show you. Let me teach you a a, a Greek word today. Some of you already know this, but in case you don't, the Greek word for fellowship is the word koinonia, okay? How many, just say that with me, koinonia. Uh, That was horrible. Try it again. Koinonia. There you go. Thank you. All right, this is the word for fellowship is that word in the Greek. Now, why that's important is that word is used throughout the New Testament and it has several different words attached to it. But by simple definition, fellowship, koinonia, means to hold something in common. Okay, now, by a simple definition, we could take everything that we just talked about and say, well, yes, that is fellowship. Because I hold in common a love for lemon meringue pie, right? Or I, love, I hold in common a love for food. I hold in common uh, a, a something, but you could take that even further. Anything that you have when you're together, if we have this common cause, if we have a, you know, a charity, that we're, then, then technically that is fellowship. It's something that you hold in, in common. It's a venture. It's a business. All of those kind of things. But, but let me show you. The Bible is going to show us there are really three very important elements about fellowship that I want you to grab. And the first one is this, that the fellowship that we're talking about, that we're to devote ourselves to, has a positional idea in mind. There's the idea of being positionally in fellowship. Let me explain what I'm talking about. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 9. Listen to this, this phrase. God is faithful who has called you into what? Into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 
There's our word, koinonia, that God called us into. Here's what I want you to, all of those things we talked about, whether it's a common love for food or a common love for whatever, all of those things that you, are, you choose to be a part of that and you, you gather yourself because we have this thing in common. Here's what God has done. He has made us, if we're followers of Christ, to have something automatically, intrinsically in common. And that is our faith in Jesus Christ. This is the fellowship that he's called us into. This is an inward work that God does. This is where, but I, what do I have in common with God? How could I have fellowship with God? I, I, literally, we have nothing in common. We have nothing with which we can take to God. We have nothing that earns us our place with God. So what is it that would enable us to have fellowship with God? It's when his son, Jesus Christ, died in our place. We receive that gift of eternal life. He forgives us of our sin, and he calls us. He actually, he actually pursues us. We, went, we weren't even looking for him. We weren't going after God. He came looking for us. He called us to the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. This could be perhaps the most important thing about fellowship that we miss, and that is fellowship is not something that we create we don't conjure up fellowship. True fellowship, scriptural koinonia, is something that comes because we are in fellowship first with Jesus Christ, our Lord, through the salvation that he has. So my question is, have you received Christ? If so, then you already have experienced or you are experiencing fellowship. It is a position that you are now in fellowship with God because of what Jesus did in your life. But let me take you to the next thought. Fellowship is not just positional, it's also relational. It's, it's an experience. It's something about the, the relationship that you have, but it also begins to change your daily, your daily life. Here's another verse, first, 2 Corinthians 13. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. What he's indicating here is, yes, I have fellowship with God through Jesus Christ, and now there's a growing and increasing relationship that I have, that this is taking over not just where I'm going to go when I die, it's taking over my life. I have this growing opportunity to know God better today than I did yesterday, this idea of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit working in my life. But whenever we talk about uh, Jesus and what he told us, his commands, if you remember his first command, he said the greatest command of all was a relationship. Do you remember what he said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It, it, this thing with God, this fellowship, is not just a contract, a position. It is a relationship, a relationship that grows. And as we grow in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our relationship with God grows. But I want you to see this. First John chapter 1 and verse 3, John says this, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have, and here's our words, fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Do you see what John did here? If you are in Christ, you have a position. You are in fellowship with God. But that means that the person sitting next to you, if they know Jesus, they are too in fellowship with God. And the person sitting down the row and the person in front and the person all around the world, everyone who is a part of a disciple, a follower of Christ, has, has a position of being fellowship with God. That's a growing daily relationship. But if I have that fellowship and you have that fellowship, that also means that we can have fellowship together. The fellowship that I have with you, the koinonia that I can have with you is because I have fellowship with the Father. He says we have fellowship one another because we are in fellowship with the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but if you've ever been on a missions trip, you have. And we go on a trip. We're going to go to Haiti in a few months. And we go to a trip, and, and we meet people that we never met before. 
They're speaking a language that we can't understand. But if they know Jesus, I, I don't know how to describe it other than we already have a connection. Why? Because we share the same fellowship with the same Father through Jesus Christ. They may live around the world and we can't, we can't even hold a conversation, but we have fellowship because of what Jesus did. We have a partnership. We have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. So what we have now is a fellowship with God that then creates this fellowship with one another. So we're not just in fellowship because we need to get together and hang out. We, the fellowship is here. God has created us to be in unity, to be in this fellowship. That takes a new, when you go back to the verse we just read, 1 Corinthians 1, 9, God is faithful. He's called you into the fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. And then the verse that we looked at last week, he goes on to say the very next word. So I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, based on the fact that you're in unity with God, together I appeal to you in the name of the Lord Jesus that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and there be no divisions among you, and that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Here's the, here's the idea. Fellowship is something that God has made within us. Now, we, with the fellowship with him, now all of us who share fellowship with him share a fellowship together. It's something from within. It's positional. It's relational. We should be growing in our relationship with one another. But one last thought. Fellowship is also very practical. Fellowship is not just about being together. Fellowship is about doing together. If you, as I said, that word koinonia, it's translated several different ways in English. Let me give you some ideas. Of, you'd see it in the New Testament. The word fellowship also could be contribution, participation, distribution, sharing, partnership. Depending on your version, you're going to see all these different English words to help describe what koinonia truly is. It's the idea of not just being together but working together, doing something, actively pursuing the fellowship together. Do you realize that every time you give an offering, you give your tithes and offerings on Sunday, that is, by definition, fellowship. That's koinonia. You are contributing. You are participating. When you serve together in a ministry, that is fellowship. It's not just hanging out together. It's side by side, doing what God has called us to do together. That's fellowship. When you say fellowship as far as taking coffee and donuts, I'll do that every Sunday. Phenomenal. However, fellowship is not just being together. It's a fact that it's something that is inside of us that then causes us to do God's work together. When we look at that idea of fellows in a ship, let, let me give you a better picture. Here's the same fellows in a ship, but if you notice, they're all working, going to a common purpose. Now, that's a better picture of fellowship. It's the idea of all of us in the same ship but we're all working to do what God has called us to do together. Let me give you a definition. You can fill in the blanks. Fellowship, it's a relationship of inner unity. Remember, it comes from within because we're believers. It's a inner unity among believers that expresses itself in co-participation with Christ and with one another in accomplishing God's will on earth. Fellowship is not just hanging out together. Fellowship is because we are Christians, we have a job to do together, to love one another, to serve one another, to do what God has called us to do together. That's fellowship. That's the what. Let's talk about the why. Why is fellowship so important according to the Scriptures? Well, obviously, this early church thought it was valuable because they devoted themselves to it. 
So why would we even care? Why do we need to devote ourselves? Why is it? Let, let me explain another word here that's used for koinonia. In Ephesians chapter 3, if you want to follow me in your Bible, starting in verse 8, Paul wrote these words. Although I am less than least of all the Lord's people, this, pre- this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, and I want you to see this, and make plain to everyone the, and depending on your version, the administration or the fellowship of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in in God who created all things. What is the mystery Paul's talking about? Well, the mystery is the redemption of Jesus Christ. They'd heard about it in the Old Testament, but it wasn't completely clear until Jesus came. But it wasn't just the redemption. It's that this redemption was for all people, Jews and Gentiles. It just took down all of the lines completely. The mystery was the gospel, the good news, the the riches, as he says, the things that, the boundless riches of Christ that came when we accepted Christ. And he says, we are to have fellowship in that truth. We We have an administration. We are in partners with that truth. And here's why he said that. The very next part of that verse, verse 10, he says, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to rulers, authorities in heaven, realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. As God's people, as a church, Calvary, we are in fellowship together to make known God to this world to make known what God has in mind. Fellowship is important because, and you can fill in this blank, fellowship is God's means of accomplishing his purposes through his church. Fellowship is what God has designed to be the avenue, the vehicle that we take what he wants us to do and we make it known to the world around us. And we do that through our fellowship, through our partnership together. That we're not just not Lone Ranger Christians because it's, it's hard. We're not Lone Rangers because we're supposed to be working together. We're in fellowship. Paul talked about the Philippians, Philippians 1.5. He said this, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your, here's our word, your fellowship, your partnership, your koinonia in the gospel. He said, because we're doing the same thing. We're rowing that boat together because God wants us to make an impact in this world. So the fellowship is important because if we are not in fellowship, we're not doing as God wants us in fulfillment of what he has called us to do. It's not even just for the lost. It's even for the, the, us within the body. Philemon chapter 1 and verse 6, I pray that, here's our word, I pray that your partnership, your fellowship with us in the faith may be effective in deepening our understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. God has chosen us to be in fellowship with him, and then that fellowship allows us to be in fellowship with one another so that together We are not only making God's plain to the world who needs to know God, but we are also then seeing the the body grow and our faith increase. That's why the fellowship is so important. Fellowship is not just a word that we throw out. Fellowship is about us being what God has called us to be as a church. When you refer to the fellowship, you're talking about Calvary Baptist Church. We are the fellowship on this location. We are the group that God has called to make an impact the way God has called us to do it. All right, so the what, 
What is fellowship? Well, it's not just hanging out. It's working together for a common goal of doing what God has called us to do. We're partners. The why is because that's how God is designed for his gospel, for his work to be done is through the fellowship. So our third question is this. How do we devote ourselves to it? This is what I spend the rest of the time. How do we do this? If they devote themselves, we knew it was important. What is it? it and if, if we devote ourselves to fellowship, and if I ask you that question, and your first response is, how do we become more in fellowship? And your first response is, well, we need to have more fellowships. Then we, you haven't heard a word I've said all morning. Or we need to have a coffee bar in the lobby so we can, if that's your first response, we've got a lot of talking still to do. You understand? Because it's so much bigger than just hanging out and, and enjoying. There is, there, is there is a purpose God has in mind, and he's chosen to do it through us partnering, fellowshipping together. So how do we do it? I'm going to give you three thoughts that I've learned from the Scripture. One is, if we're going to devote ourselves to, we've got to make fellowship a priority. You have got to personally decide that this fellowship, that the fellowship, that the partnership with other believers to do what God is, is, is that important in your life. When you look at this early church, this practice of fellowship, it came very natural. They, you, didn't have, you don't see anybody on the sidelines saying, okay, guys, we need to fellowship. We need to partner. You don't, you don't see that. They jumped in. It was a very natural part of what they did, of not just being together, but working together. I take you to Acts chapter 2 again. We followed on from the verse we started with. Verse 44 says this. All the, I want you to hear these words. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That is a picture of fellowship. And it's so much more than just a meeting that happens once a week or periodic meetings we have as a church. There was something different going on here. Let me point out some words that I use as I describe this priority of fellowship. You see unselfishness? Look at the very first phrase. Together, they had everything in common. Please hear that. Everything. That word common is the, is the root word we get our word koinonia from. It's the word, it just means they had every, it wasn't just, you know, they had this meeting time and they kind of talked, you know, kind of shot the breeze a little bit. They had everything in common. They brought all of their lives and they said, we want it to bear. Church, the fellowship was their priority. Look what another word I would use is the word self-sacrifice. It actually, they sold so that people would not have needs. They would take their stuff and they would literally sell it so they could meet the needs of others in their church that were hungry, others that had, they, they, they would get, this was their fellowship and they would do whatever they could. This was their priority. Another word you're going to have to use is the word time. Every day, it says, they were in the temple courts. Every day, they went house to house and people and, and, and ate together. And did all, that, that was time. Folks, you all know as well as I do, as soon as I say that word, some of you say, that's the problem. I don't have any time. And, and I, 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 I hesitate. I'm not, I'm not on a soapbox here, but i got to help you understand something. You have time for what's important to you. What your priority is, you will have time to do. And maybe it has to be rearranged. I get that. Again, I'm just, I'm going to ask you to evaluate, but it's going to take time to make the fellowship a priority. Effort would have to be another word. I mean, just think of what they had to do. But please understand, don't get a misunderstanding. These were still real people. 
These were still people that were some older, some younger. They had kids. They had education. They had jobs, and they didn't have any unions. They worked pretty much seven days a week, sun up to sundown, and yet they still prioritized their meeting together. They met together. They would go early to before. They would come late and, and spend. I'm, I'm telling you, folks, these folks understood that this fellowship had to be a priority. And, and that seems to be what one of the things that has shifted over time is the fellowship has, has moved itself down the priority list so far in so many cases. Everything, if, if anything interrupts with church or anything interrupts with the fellowship, th- then the fellowship takes back seat. I'm just being honest. And I think most of you would agree with me that we have, we have misrepresented what God said. The fellowship has to be a priority with us. So we have to make it a priority. Let me give you a second thought. To keep the fellowship or devote ourselves, we have to beware of the enemies of the fellowship. We talked a little bit about this last week, but let me make sure you understand. If we're going to devote ourselves to something that has the potential to impact the world for Jesus Christ and to see people grow in their faith, which that's what fellowship has, if we are going to devote ourselves to something like that, We're in for a fight. The enemy does not want that to happen. The enemy wants to do whatever he can to stop the fellowship. If that's God's vehicle to make make it happen, unity is how it works, one accord, and 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 the fellowship is the vehicle. If that's it, then the enemy's going to do whatever he can to derail us, to get us off track. Unity is going to be something that we're going to, this fellowship, I point out last Sunday, the devil from the immediately, as soon as the new church started and things started happening, he tried to do whatever he can to derail them. He tried intimidation. First of all, he, he brought persecution in, and, and he thought, hey, listen, I remember how scared they were before the, the crucifixion. If I can just scare them, they'll stop this whole fellowship thing, and they, they'll scatter, right? Didn't work in the early church, at least not at first. But so he, he added then not only intimidation, then remember that, that, that contamination of the, the, the sin that came in and the fact of, of the lying and the hypocrisy, and, and, he took, and God took care of that. And, the, and, and so the devil's trying whatever he can to stop the church. But chapter number six of Acts, the devil, the enemy now introduces a, a tactic that I believe becomes his favorite I believe it becomes the thing that he has found the most success with. It had already been successful through the Israel, and we're going to find throughout the New Testament, the early church, he finds this very successful, and I promise you it's still in act today. The, the best way we could call it is the enemy introduces dissension, division within the body, within the fellowship. And, and that, that, particular, that particular tool becomes very, very effective. Here's how chapter 5 ends. Chapter 5, verse 42, this is where we see the setting. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. That's where the church was. Fantastic. Things are moving. Chapter 6 and verse 1, here's how it starts. But in those days, when the number of the disciples was increasing, The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Things are moving well in the fellowship. Things are going together. God is doing great things. But all of a sudden, there's this powder keg of of 
problems, of issues, of potential uh, hurts and potential things that could, and, and it's just set to blow, and it, it starts with, with these complaints. Let me, let me see if I can explain a little bit what's going on. You men, mentioned uh, Hellenistic Jews and Hebraic Jews. Let me help you understand what that was. In the church or in the community, there were literally, in the culture, two different kinds of Jews that were identified. Hellenistic Jews were, in their mindset, they were more Greek. That's the word Hellenistic. They, they followed more the Greek culture. They didn't look as Jewish as their brothers and sisters. They were still Jews. They just, it wasn't a sin. They had just chosen to go, but the Hebraic Jews were still very traditional. They were, you knew they were Jews. They were following the Jewish, and, and even now as believers, they're both now, we have a group of both in the church, and they're followers of Christ, but you have, one, you have some that look more Greek and some that look more Hebrew. And so now in the church, we have these two different groups. That's not a problem, but the Hellenistic Jews, their widows were reported to being left out, not being taken care of. Now, let's be honest. That could have been an oversight. It could have been just a mistake. could have been a misunderstanding. could have been one of the ladies didn't show up at the right time. I mean, we don't know that. Or it also, it could have been a, a form of racism. I mean, the Hebraic Jews were the ones that were in majority there, so maybe they were just holding back a little bit because they held more of the cards. Who knows why? The problem is there was a complaint. There was a division that was starting to rise up that would essentially divide this fellowship. The Hellenistic Jews were probably making some strong accusations. And if so, if you can hear the Hebraic Jews, they're, now they're putting their defenses up, say, wait a second, I can't believe you would go there with me. What you have is this potential of, of dividing. So pretty soon, we're not going to have the church, the fellowship of Jerusalem. We're going to have the first Hebraic Jews of Jerusalem and the first Hellenistic church of Jerusalem, right? We're gonna, they're going to split. They're going to divide if something isn't taken care of. And then what is, what is presumed, according to this passage, is they come to their leaders, the apostles, and says, you guys need to do something about this. There's a problem, and you guys need to take care of it. So the apostles did, as we keep reading, but maybe not in the way you would expect. Look at verse 2. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together, and they said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, this is an interesting solution but it's full of some godly wisdom because there are really th at least three possible threat threats that are happening here. One is there's widows that are not being taken care of. That's a problem that has to be addressed. There's also this potential of division because of the complaints that are going on. So we've got that threat. But the third threat is that the leaders would, would dilute what they have been called to do and the preachers, the apostles, would dilute what they're called to do to, to take care of this. And in so doing, they would not be fully committed to what God had called them to do. Now, i got to stop here as a, as a minister. I'm not an apostle, okay? I, I'm not an apostle, but the, the apostle's position seemed to be taken over by the elders, the pastors. So I stand in a similar position, and when I read this phrase, sometimes it bothers me a bit that they said, we cannot, we cannot stop and wait on tables. Because my first thought is, boy, that sounds awful elitist, dudes, right? You can't lower yourself to wait on tables. But please understand, that wasn't their, that wasn't their call at all. They weren't saying that we're too good to do this. They're saying God has a got job for us to do, and if we stop doing that, then we're not doing what God has called us to do, and the church is not doing. There's got to be a solution, but it can't be from us diluting what God has called us to do to take care of this problem. So here's what happens. They take it to the church, and if you keep reading the story, he says, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit, 
we will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give their attention and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. We'll keep doing what we're supposed to do. Here's the thing. The answer was right under their noses. But in order for it to happen, the fellowship had to get up and do what they've been called to do. The fellowship had to be what they've called to do to take care of the problems, to stop the division within them. So it tells about the seven men that they called. It gives their names. They presented to them in verse 5 and 6, and they laid their hands on them. And, and what many theologians believe, this is at least the precursor to what we call deacons today. This, this being the, the preemptive idea. They, they're not necessarily called by name deacons, although the word servant is used, but we see this as possibly the first deacons that were ever listed. And, and these deacons now, as you see, by their, they, they had qualifications, yes, here, and then we know 1 Timothy 3 gives them qualifications, but here what we have is what they do. We don't know exactly what deacons did throughout history, but we know just by, one man put it this way. Let me throw out two words to you or two phrases. One, deacons were meant to be shock absorbers, and they were meant to be servants. But the, the, if this is truly the first deacons, their job fully was to maintain the unity of the church. They weren't a ruling board. They weren't, they weren't the ones that were making the decisions. The, the apostles, the leaders were, were praying. They were doing what God had called them, and, and then they were casting the vision, and the deacons were the ones that came along. They were, to, to coin, they were defenders of the fellowship. Can you picture deacons with a big, uh, you know, a big F on their, on their, maybe that's the wrong letter, but anyway, a big cape and the whole thing, that they have this thing on, and they're, they're defenders of the fellowship. That's what the original deacons were. They were defenders of the unity. They were ones called in and, and appointed by God to see that the church continued to move forward in fellowship. One reason I wanted to stop here, because as we've been talking this week, the last two Sundays you have an opportunity to uh, nominate for our, our next group of deacons that are becoming our next team starting. We'll have an election in November. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. to First of all, talk to them before you nominate them, but also... Uh, look at the qualifications. Do they have the qualifications? 1 Timothy 3, Acts chapter 6. But then consider them as people. Are these people I'm nominating, are they peacemakers? Are they ones that would defend the unity? That's what de deacons are to do. It, it, it is less about their skill and more about their ability to keep the unity of the faith through Jesus Christ. That's what God has called them. But here's what's exciting. Verse number 7, look what happened. Once they did this, the apostles continued to do what they did. The deacons started doing what they were supposed to do. And the word of God spread. The number of the disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. If the church does what the church is supposed to do, and they act in fellowship, and they go against the things that are causing division, they rise up, they, they squash them, which would include them rising up and even appointing people to keep whatever we do, we, we understand the enemy wants to stop the fellowship. We've got to be aware of that and do whatever we can to make that stop. Number three, be intentional about your part in the fellowship. Set it as a priority. Beware of the attacks and do whatever you can. Be intentional about your part. 
We can't leave the fellowship to chance or hope that if we get around to it, we'll, we'll promote. We'll, it, it has to be, in, we intentionally have to love each other. We have to intentionally have to encourage one another, intentionally bear one another's burdens, intentionally give and support. We have to intentionally, these things don't just happen. We have to intentionally, because remember, there's an enemy fighting against us. The culture is fighting against us. We are busy people, so if we don't intentionally make the fellowship and devote ourselves to it, it, it will never happen. We have to intentionally say, I'm going to be more than just a Sunday morning, how are you doing, Christian? I'm going to connect with other people. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. To get, I've got a job here to do. I've got to do intentionally what God has called me to do. This is, uh, has a lot of context, but I love the way Paul said this about the people in Macedonia. 2 Corinthians 8, he says, They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of, here's our word, sharing or fellowship, in this service to the Lord's people. Now, I know there's a context, but what, that, what a great principle that we beg you, I want to be a part of the, I'm going to do whatever I can. So that means, am I connecting with others? Am I, in, maybe that means for some, getting into a group beyond Sunday mornings. Am I serving the way God has called me? Am I beware of the, the enemy and fighting disunity in every way that I can? I have to intentionally make a decision that the fellowship is important to me. And I have to do what I can to preserve that fellowship. Takes us back to an opening picture. Picture of that giant Sherman sequoia tree. Not only impervious to fire or in most cases, but there's something very interesting. As big as these trees are, these are the largest living things on the planet, largest trees in all the world, lasted for literally millenniums, you would think a tree like that would have some mighty deep roots that go down and grab hundreds of feet below the surface and grab and hold it. To hold a tree when the winds blow to get, but if you look, researcher after researcher tells us that their root system is relatively shallow. Their roots go mostly six to eight feet and that's all below the surface. Now these roots will spread out for 80 feet and that's what makes them strong because you see the next picture. These trees exist in, what they, in groves. And those roots, they, they run just below the surface, but they intertwine. They interlock with the trees next to them. And so you'll keep, you don't see a, a sequoia by itself. You see it connected with other sequoia. The reason it stayed for 2,500 years is not only because of its thick trunk. It's because it stayed interconnected, interlocked. They know that they need each other. So do we, church. Do you realize that to do what God has called us to do, we need to interlock, we need to intertwine, we need to love each other, we need to forgive each other, we need to help each other, we need to encourage each other, we need to stand arm in arm in fellowship to do what God has called us to do. What does that mean for us today? Let's bow our heads, please, in prayer. I want to pray specifically for a couple of things. I want to pray that you get a true understanding of fellowship and you really gather that it's, it's really deeper than just an attending a service. It really is connecting. That, that's one of my prayers. And that you would devote yourself to it. I also want to pray for anybody in this room who's not yet come in fellowship with the Father through Jesus Christ. And, and truthfully, you, you can't even come to him without salvation through Jesus. And God would just speak to your heart now and remind you that you are a sinner who needs a Savior. And call you to Jesus to say, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and save me. And let him put you in fellowship with his father through the death 
and resurrection on the cross. I want to pray for you that maybe you, you would be more aware of the enemy's attack and, and see maybe where he's used some things in your life to, to allow division to happen and you're not where you could be with the fellowship because of whatever. And it could be legitimate hurts. It could be legitimate things that have happened in your past and whatever it is that you, you no longer let the enemy keep you from being in fellowship with God's people the way he's called you to do. Father, this fellowship's a big deal. I understand that. It's more than just a casual acquaintance. It's, it's more than even just friendships. It's truly in relationship, working together and working with people who our common goal is to do your will together. God, please stir in our hearts a desire to devote ourselves to that fellowship. Lord, if there's one in this audience who's not yet received salvation through Jesus, they're not in fellowship with you, Father, because they've never experienced forgiveness and salvation, just call them today. Help them to call out to you and say, God, I'm a sinner. I Forgive me of my sins. I want to turn and follow you. Please call them to salvation. And help us as believers to just be just keenly aware that the enemy is trying to do whatever he can to divide the fellowship and if there's something in our life we can identify that we're allowing to win to get it out, to stop, to get right with you, to get right with one another to walk out of here in fellowship interlock to do what you've called us to do to do whatever we can to devote ourselves to the fellowship that you have made so critical for us Father please speak to us I pray this in Jesus name